Hi, everyone. So good to see you all here. Hey, this will come up in a minute, um, but my, my parents are not here. <laughs> They're not here, but um, the couple in the back, uh, Ken and Janet Bischoff, are actually the... Uh, Ken was a student who helped to start Chi Alpha almost 50 years ago here at Central. And so it's really good to have you back again. Campus ministry, a ministry just like this one at Washington State, was a saving grace to me as a newbie freshman. And so there was a night when everyone in my dorm, that's what we called it there, a dorm, was gone partying, and I found myself walking into a gathering of students who were calling each other friends and worshiping God together. And it became my home, became my family. We sang songs in Chi Alpha that were written by one of our students, our worship leader named Derwin. And believe it or not, he, over the course of my first three years there, he wrote about 30 worship songs. And everything that we sang for worship was one of his songs. And so I have a lot of memories from that time of the kind of passion and um, focus that came out of these handwritten songs. We'd go to a retreat, and there'd be a song at the end of the retreat that we would sing based on what we were learning. It was, it was a phenomenal, moving time for me. Um, I can still sing most of those songs today. Pull the book out of, out of my office because I asked him, can I take some copies of this with me? I can still sing them today. Um, Derwin and other older students in Kaiapha would surround me and pray passionately for me. I remember this every week in Chi Alpha. And so I've been in a campus community just like that ever since. And I've really found that it, it is my source and my root of um, how I understand myself in Christ within this growing, developing, always changing community of college students. This rich heritage that you are a part of is going to be a part of your understanding of who you are in Christ. It's already becoming that, and I'm sure you know that. I understand that you might have encountered Jesus before you came to college, or you might even still be encountering Jesus, but regardless of that, understand this. This is the place where all of that prior knowledge and all of your new knowledge is going to grow into the skills and habits you use for a lifetime. We are building our foundation together. You will never forget this time or this place. Tonight, I want to read from two announcements that are made in the book of Revelation. So, just like we do every week in Chi Alpha, find a Bible. If you want to grab one of these, if anyone wants to hold them up and hand them out, that would be awesome. I don't think I prearranged for that. Thank you, Tarrant Taylor. It's not hard to find this book. It's the very last one in the Bible. So just turn all the way to the right. And you might wonder, why would we read a book that's about the future right now? Because everyone typically knows that Revelation has all of these visions about the future in it. Well, I have a great book by Eugene Peterson. Um, He's the one that also wrote the translation of the Bible we call The Message. And um, he writes... You don't read the Revelation to get additional information about the life and faith in Christ. We've read it all before. Everything in the Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. 
The revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the gospel, already complete. The revelation about Jesus, already known. There's nothing new to say on the subject after those first 65 books. But there is a new way to say it. And so when you read the revelation, you read revelation to get more in, not to get more information, but to revive your imagination. Revelation is what helps us to know where we are at in a new and clear and vivid way and to know how to pray and how to see our way forward in life. It's a book that speaks to our very foggy present circumstance. I think that's a condition that describes most of college life. I don't know what's going to happen next year. (laughs) What's after that? Huh. I would like to know. We're still trying to understand our past, too. You're coming to grips with things in your past, and you're struggling to see what's ahead. Revelation is a book that provides clarity. We all need to hear the truth again, but fresh. Our attentions every day, standard college life, our attentions are scattered by hurry and anxiety. Our familiarity with Jesus, being fresh at first, gets numb over time. Our ambition sometimes gets in the way of having perspective on what we're supposed to really be doing in life. So what is the most obvious use of revelation? It is to wake us up. People in difficult times, just like the first people that read this back in the first century in times of turmoil and trial, need to see their beginning and their end and to understand their place because we live in the foggy middle. So do you know the glorious vision to which God's called you? Do you know the incredible mission he's given you every day? God says, at the very beginning, go back to Genesis 1, he says, everything was good. And then we discover in Genesis 2 and 3 that everything that was good went sideways. And there's turmoil and trial, travail in human life. And so... In the end, what does God see? That's what the revelation is about. What does he see for us? Well, here's where I want to read the first announcement. If You can turn to chapter 11, verse 15. So there are these moments in the book of Revelation where there are these large announcements that come from heaven. And you don't necessarily have to know exactly what the visions are before and after. If you hear that announcement, you can still gain a significant um, focus for where you are at in your own life. These announcements come out of the blue. And this first one, 11.15, says, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Isn't that incredible? There are a lot of kingdoms out there. Ephesians six twelve says, We struggle not against flesh and blood, against people, but against powers and authorities and principalities in this world and in the heavenly realms. We struggle against things that claim the rights of kingdom over us in our lives. Maybe it's the priorities that your employer has for you or that your professor wants to have for you. Do this or that or this 
Uh, and I'm so familiar with the music environment, so I'll just quote a, a music example. Do these extra five ensembles. There's you know, a certain set of priorities that are a, almost expected. And, and whatever else major you're in, other extracurricular activities or the job that you're in, maybe it's a social kingdom, a lifestyle on our campus of hooking up or of binge consumption of whatever it is. And, and that itself is a kingdom with its own set of values and expectations. It's difficult for us sometimes to see that the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord. So how can we see that? How can we look outside this fog to see how that is the case? I want to illustrate this by showing some old pictures. Okay, so these I would call my my firsts if you will these are some of my firsts and i want to be quick to acknowledge that 20 years is not even half of how long chi alpha has been here at central and so there's a lot of actual firsts that probably came before my first experience of it but these are my firsts the first core facilitator team that i was on with becky this is, a, you know, in a group of 20 to 25 students, and we were the first team that started to become what Chi Alpha is today. My, how Jesus has grown his family. Then there was the year that I came to Central. <laughs> and this was the first costume party. But there, there's another first in this. Um, I came to Central to just check out Chi Alpha and the campus the year before I actually decided to come on staff. I just came to visit, and Michael and I were walking in front of the science building, Science One, and as we were just walking through the campus, we ran across this girl named Emily, and Michael said to her, hey, I think I've seen you before at Chi Alpha. Did you hear the announcement about the winter retreat? And she said, oh, yeah, I heard it. And he said, are you going to be coming to winter camp? And she said, well, I think I'm going to be too busy that weekend. I don't think I can make it maybe next time. Uh, has anyone heard that before? Yeah. I, I've heard that before. Emily said that. Michael said, well, next time sounds just great. I'd love to sign you up for next time. <laughs> and so Emily signed up on the spot. She said, well, okay, I'll come to camp next time. So a year later, I'm now on staff. I now live here in Ellensburg, and there's Emily in Chi Alpha, and she goes to winter camp. And she got into a core group shortly thereafter with another gal named Jan, and then a year later, they were facilitating a core group together. And I remember being at what was the equivalent of our spring camp out, and it was so small at that time, we actually had spring camp out in the Chi Alpha House living room. And so I remember standing in front of a couch. There's, like, people three feet in front of me and some people over here and over here. And here's Emily, like, literally in that chair. And I'm talking about Romans 12, what it means to live your life as a sacrifice. And afterwards, she came up and said, I think I want to use my, my ASL degree, sign language degree, for Jesus. Um, I know I'm going to need some more training. I want to go find a degree after I graduate here that will train me how to use sign language as a minister. So she ended up going to Bible college after Central, and a couple years later, she ended up um, becoming a, a pastor. And she's actually still 
this is almost 20 years ago now. She's actually still part of a, a church plant down in Las Vegas, helping with the ministry. And the, fir the second first in this photo for me is it was the first time that I saw a gracious redirection, a kind of a, a pressing in on the student culture and pressing it to say something else. You know, would you actually consider doing this as opposed to just saying, I'm too busy? And what a profound impact that kind of influence had. I love seeing that kind of life transformation just from those moments of saying, well, would you consider it again? There was the first guitar class. <laughs> now, this has been going now for about 20 years. We're in yet another iteration this year. And Taylor Griffin, I don't know where you're at, but that guitar I have is actually the guitar you're playing on right now. That's it. I started out by using it. So Lord knows where you're going to go with your playing, but I think it's in your future. There was the first spring break outreach to Idaho. Uh, sorry, you know, back in the day we didn't have digital cameras, so this is a scan of an old photo. We went to Idaho State University for year after year after year down in Pocatello and then eventually a couple other schools in Idaho. I have come to see spring break outreach as the most significant transformative moment in the entire school year for anyone's life, including my own. Other than Sikkim, this is it, SBO. In SBO, God makes us into the human beings who know how to speak words of truth effectively. And you are going to use it for the rest of your life, the skills of how to be an influence and a voice of truth in someone else's life. Not a single university class can teach you that, but this does. There was the first time I took my core group camping, something you got to do every year. <laughs> something you got to do every year. There was the first group of students that I was able to take to Sikkim. And Becky and I did this together. And this was our first Sikkim crowd, and we were the mom and dad for Central students that year. Pat, right in the middle, ended up on the basis of Sikkim. He eventually did our Catholic internship, um, and then he started a campus ministry in Boston. And then we got a graphics design major and an engineer and a geologist, people who are, I think, living out the Kaiapha mission statement, which is transforming the university and the marketplace and the world. It all starts right here, you guys. There was the first party we ever had in the backyard. <laughs> That's currently the prayer room, but in the day it used to be a garage. And I eventually said, we need some other place to extend our party because the living room is just not big enough. So we actually moved the lawnmower out and we had party in the garage too. And there was the first Christmas party. Hey, we used to go all out for decor back then. <laughs> there was the first table in the Cirque. This is Becky and, and our first intern from the outside who came from elsewhere. Do you guys remember the old uh, Voice of God Bibles, the orange Bibles, before we had the current orange Bibles that are now replaced by another one that's different? Anyway, we handed those out for years, I, and I have found that Every year I can point to several very key students in Kaiapha who just stumbled across Kaiapha because of a poster or a table or an advertisement on the TV. So, you know, I stay committed to it. There's the first time I fixed someone's computer. 
And, uh, you know, I often did that in the day. Typically, it was a Windows computer, but not always. And then probably, <laughs> probably, this was also the first time that I said, hey, you need to delete the games on this thing because they are sucking the initiative out of your life. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably said that. It was true for me. It's true for so many people. And there you go. There was our first summer mission. Michael referred to this. So um, we, these are students in China on the, on the left side here. There's a whole crowd of them, and this is like field games. Field games day. We're just having fun together. Um, but uh, the next picture here shows us doing a mock wedding. And so what we did is we taught English in a classroom in China. And when you teach English, you have to find things to talk about. So what can we talk about when we do it, a wedding? Well, we talk about the meaning of marriage from Genesis. And we talked about what does it mean to, to be um, joined together as one in the sight of God. And how does this mirror our relationship with God? It's just a phenomenal chance to talk about Jesus in the context of a very secular place where Christianity is often considered illegal. We had just an awesome time doing that. The two guys on our right and left are actually um, candle holders. <laughs> That's what they're doing. On the next slide, still in China, um, I have come to believe that Kaiafa students are the most powerful culture-changing force on earth. Um, if you go to unreached people groups, wherever it is, here on a campus or there in China or elsewhere in the Middle East somewhere, and you just practice exactly what you know, which is how to meet newcomers and include them in a group called a core group, how to teach them about the Bible and talk and pray over a one-on-one, -on -one. if you just do those things, that skill set is the most valuable thing in the entire universe. And I have, as being an area director now, I have missionaries constantly coming to me saying, can we come and talk to your group because Kaiafa students are the best workers that we have on our mission field. If they give a year, it doesn't matter what they do. As long as they do what you do on campus, in the context of the business environment that we're doing or the reaching kids environment, whatever they do, as long as they do that, they're the best workers. Jesus can use this skill set, campus ministry, in you. Then there was our first give a year. Bobby's in the middle in the red. The, the life of the party, as you can tell. Um, Bobby went with us to th these mission trips to Thailand and China, and eventually he came back and he said, I'm, I know I'm a construction major, but I feel like I want to go back to that place and I want to serve for a year. And so he did it. He was the first one, I don't know, 15 years ago, who said, yes, I'm going to do that. And he'd go for a year. He'd come back. He'd get a job back building houses for a couple years, and he'd go back for a couple more years to China. He'd come back, and he'd go back again. I think he went back three times. Yeah. Bobby, wherever you're at, well, I know you're in Yelm, actually, this, this year. <laughs> um, that was some hard work that you did every single year, and I'm very proud of you. This next picture, um, oh, actually, I don't know where this picture came from.
Then there was the first Chi Alpha House group. Guys, I lived in the Chi Alpha House for two years. I, it was a brotherhood. We, we would commit every year to do regular dinners and invite new, new guys from our core group. We'd invite new guys, from, freshman guys from our core group to have dinner with us to get some time off campus to feel that sense of brotherhood. And, and I do think that this particular group of guys built the next five years of guys in Chi Alpha on the basis of that focus and effort. Uh, we once had a student staff member, Talia, on the left. We called her student staff because she was functioning and creating core groups and growing them. And we finally said in your senior year, why don't you just kind of show up in our staff meetings sometimes and we will call you student staff. And then Erin, to her right, started to do that too. They were phenomenal, phenomenal workers, kind of doubling the size of their core group over the, over the course of a year. Erin actually came on staff here after um, we had kids. So after we had Hannah, Becky stepped out for a season and Erin stepped in. And Erin served, I think, for six years. Great friends. There was one of our first student-led worship jams. I say, I say first because these just happen in every single year of every single campus ministry I've ever seen. So this isn't like the first student worship jam ever at all. But there have been a lot over the years. And I just love the fact that this is a part of college life and that we are all about worshiping God. This is the first selfie. <laughs> first selfie. I know you guys think you invented it, but we used to do it before we could see what we were taking a picture of. <laughs> this is one of our first move-in day groups. Uh, back then, so that's me and Becky, and then there's Aaron on the left, one of our interns, Sarah, and two students. Um, we, we used to focus on one or two dorms back in those first few days because this is who we had to move in with, so we'd, we'd provide a focus. And again, my, what the Lord has done. Because Chi Alpha today, you know, just come back a couple days early, can provide 40 or 50 students, and we can spread out across our entire campus. We can draw a crowd. We can meet people, throw the nets wide for Jesus. Um, I love this season of the year. There is one of the first, I guess you'd call it Dan hikes. <laughs> and... These always go really well and are very exciting to places to nowhere. And um, this one, next slide, was never to be repeated. <laughs> but nonetheless, Derek and Jessica, some of you know them, are at the University of Idaho doing Chi Alpha ministry right now. So this hike was still meaningful in their life. There was the first time we started reaching out to AUAP students around this Easter season, and Becky and I had a couple campus friends or community friends, and um, I love that we continue to do this and continue to see students hear about the good news of Jesus before they go back to their country. There was this worship team, the first time that I was a part of um, helping to lead worship, again, a temporary season as we raised up other leaders. So I was playing the keyboard back then. And believe it or not, um, all the people across the front and the guy in the back all became future worship leaders with Chi Alpha. So this is, you know, there's a culture of let's figure out how to minister to each other and lead each other, student-led culture here. Um, here's the first 
I say first in quotes, first Chi Alpha kid. That, that's Hannah. <laughs> and um, also, it happens to be the first Chi Alpha dad photo. Um, I love having kids be a part of the larger family of college ministry because there's just so much passion and authenticity in what we do. This is the place where you learn to love God with your whole heart. Um, here's one, one of the first of many times teaching about how the Holy Spirit changes us at a retreat and how the Holy Spirit makes our lives fruitful. So it's a retreat about the fruit that God puts in our life. But, of course, this all, always involved doing a personality test called the color code. And so that's all anybody ever remembers from the retreat is we talk about the color code. But the truth is this is about much, much more. <laughs> this is about how God changes us to be more than we start out being. And finally, this is the First World Mission Summit. So Becky and I went. This is, I mean, kind of a blurry photo, but they would have um, all college students singing in other languages as a part of the worship time. Just powerful. And there were students from Chi Alpha here who went to that, and then the second, and the third, and then the fourth. And I, I have, I, I don't know if you know this, but I have found that there's um, over 2,000 Chi Alpha students right now across the country who are in the process of giving a year to world missions in some way before they come back to the marketplace here in America. Chi Alpha is, again, just a world-changing place to be. Well, what do I learn from all of these firsts? First of all, God is always at work in our lives as students. All the, all the mundane stuff, I mean, parties and hanging out. God is at work. He's visibly at work. Don't miss it. But I would also point out that we as a movement of college students have the power to change culture. We have a visible impact on our campus. We can change the directions of our towns and our neighborhoods when you graduate. You can actually change in a visible way, the culture of an entire residence hall in the course of a year. And we are being given the skills to do that. That's some of the things that I learn about all of these firsts, besides the fact that we just passionately love Jesus and love to have a good time. So that leads me to the second announcement in Revelation. And if you could just skip ahead about a half chapter to chapter 12, Revelation 12, verse 10. And again, this is an announcement that comes from heaven, kind of over the whole earth. And it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They, that means our brothers and sisters, triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So I'd like to make three observations. Number one, how do we understand this? Like, if you hear this kind of announcement into your life, how do you understand it? Well, primarily as an encouragement. We need to be encouraged by this, that the enemy... The accuser of our souls was hurled down, has no authority and no power over us. That the kingdom of God has come, and he has brought salvation and power and authority. He, 
God rules in our lives. His kingdom is already here and it's growing. Secondly, I would say, I'd ask this question. If you think about your life, how does the enemy bring accusation into your life? If there is an enemy of our souls, if there is a devil, how does he bring accusation into your life? I think that's a great question. I think about the ways in which our lives don't glorify God, and we kind of know it sometimes. This was, I think, the topic of the first message at spring camp out. Michael called it the oops. We look back at things that we know that we regret, things that we've fallen short on, ways in which we've hurt others, sins of action. So we all have sins of action in our life, and the enemy of our souls accuses us, says you're not good enough, you have fallen short. He goes to God and accuses us in God's presence. But there's, there's also sins of inaction. Those things that uh, I, I would think of a sin of, a sin of inaction as not doing what we need to do. So things that basically waste time. You know, we're not doing the good that we need to do because our life is awash with other things that are self-focused or um, the, the kind of the binge culture that we have. So we in our culture today waste time like no other. And so the enemy brings that accusation against us. And in, in our own hearts, sometimes we recognize, um, God, I, I'm not doing what I need to do. The good news here is that the accuser has been hurled down. Out of God's presence, God basically said, I don't want to hear that. I have, I have seen my child, <laughs> I've seen you and you and you as right before me. And that is because of this third thing. How, how does this triumph come? How did the people triumph over the accuser? It says they triumphed by the blood of the lamb. Well, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Jesus is a lamb in the book of Revelation and a lion. So this is the lamb part of the imagery. And the lamb was sacrificed to create an, a, a, uh, an atonement, we would say, or a, a fix for our sin. And so when he says, they triumphed by the blood of the Lamb, it's basically saying, all of us who are listening to this announcement have been made right with God. We are in good standing with God because of what Jesus did on the cross through his blood flowing out on the cross, the Lamb of God sacrificed on our behalf. So we can say we have no accusation against us because Jesus took those accusations on himself. And then it says, they also triumphed by the word of their testimony. Again, what does that mean? <laughs> a testimony is a reminder about the truth. When someone stands up and they testify, they talk about the truth, the thing that they saw, the thing that happened to them that they need the world to know about. In Revelation, we are reminded over and over to say what is true, to not give up. Don't stop, but keep remembering Jesus' gift of life to you through the cross. God's made you victorious because of that. Tell the world, testify about your freedom and about your story. Persist and don't give up. Don't give in to the lies of the culture around you that wants to ignore any reality outside of the immediate. Don't give in to those lies, but tell the truth. And it says they did not love their lives as so much as to shrink from death. So there is an idea of sacrifice. That is the final way that we come 
and we are victorious and we stand before God. Always remember this, obedience to Jesus is actually no sacrifice. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. If you're being asked to give more, if God speaks words into your mind and your thought, your thought process, and he says, I'd like you to give some more, I'd like you to learn some more, I'd like you to disciple some other person to help them learn to follow me. And you wonder, I don't know if I have time. I, you know, I've got this job and I have these classes and I have my free time and all of this is precious to me and you wonder, how can I do that? Please understand, none of it is a sacrifice when you understand what God is really calling you to do. He's not calling you to just hang out with people here on campus or out in the place where you work. He's not just calling you to do a lot of extra tasks. He's calling you to pass on the same vision of the future that we see here in Revelation, that the kingdom of the world is being overcome, being replaced by the kingdom of God, that all of us are supposed to come under the rule of Jesus. The vision of our culture is dead, and we're supposed to call that out. We're supposed to say that. Suburban life is ultimately hopeless. We're wired to be a part of a kingdom which is moving forward and changing the world for the better. In fact, we're called to point to the king, the culture changer, and to serve and glorify him. Tonight, there's going to be some affirmations. I'm going to get off the stage in just a second here, if you could even call this a stage. <laughs> I understand that there will be credit, credit given to a lot of years of ministry, and a lot of those I've served alongside Becky as well, and this credit will be given to that. But don't miss the forest because you see a tree. The forest is that God has been at work in Chi Alpha. The glory belongs to him. The more we see that, the more we understand this picture from Revelation. The kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord. So let's, you know, as you give affirmation or you hear them, remember we are actually positioning Jesus as the ultimate receiver of our thanks. He is the one that we give credit to. And he's the one that I give credit to.